Hey, this is Tyler Olson. Welcome to Money Mediator. Um, this week, um, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Josh McGough. Uh, we're going to be talking about a number of things relative to the transition from medical school to residency. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me today, Josh. How's it going? It's going great. You know, that's one of the first times someone has referred to me as doctor, and I'm not used to it yet. But it's great <laughs> to meet you a little more officially, Tyler. It's happy to be here. <laughs> Well, you've more than earned it. I know it's a, I've heard many of your colleagues say the same thing. It's kind of like, whoa, I'm a doctor now, but like yeah. you are. And uh, man, things are about to get real, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like every year I've been more conscious of all the things I don't know rather than the things I know. Um, so it's definitely intimidating, but I'm, you know, I'm happy for the next chapter as much as someone could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, getting to know you over the last couple of years on Twitter, I've appreciated that I, you, you have a, I can tell you have a real love for education and like, like loving to learn and like trying to help other people to learn. And, um, I imagine that that is something that is like going to help you to like feel fulfilled in, in medicine. Right. Cause you all are constantly learning. It's not like after residency, you're done. Right. For sure. You know, I feel it's helped me to be able to poke fun at medical education as a system. Um, Cause there are certain things in medical school, like the it's super buzzword heavy and super like slapstick. If a question starts with a four week old male, I don't need to read the rest of the, I already know what the answer is. And so does every other med student. So I feel like some of it is poking fun at this system. Um, but yeah, I, I like the teaching aspect too, because then you can kind of extend the things that you knew beyond the patient, but also to future physicians or colleagues or things like that. I take a lot of uh, gratification in that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to know uh, a lot of students and residents over the years. And um, I mean, long-term, you know, obviously like the, the financial problems of the typical physician are very first world. And there's not like a tremendous, you know, relative to other problems in the world, there are far worse things. Um, but I think that it's, I think it's very important to make space for the problems that, that you all do have to overcome. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today, because I think that um, anyone who is in medical school, uh, who's like behind you in their, in their learning years, and they're looking at the transition from medical school to residency and how to navigate things like, um, you know, should I, should I be working while I'm in school to try to save money? Um, you know, how, even like the basics of finance, like budgeting or cash flow management, um, work, working within one's family to like make decisions so that you go from being in school to now having a job while also in many cases carrying a lot of student debt. That's a lot to manage. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a ton going on. And it's hard because one, you feel like you can't ask people because like on my rotation for people ask, what do you want to go into um, the conversation of how much money I'll be making the geographic arbitrage component like people don't talk about like working in a more rural setting, you'll make much more in a lower cost of living area instead of moving to Manhattan where everyone wants to live or L.A. or Miami or whatever. So one component is feeling like you're not able to ask those things. And the other thing is, so if, in my school during orientation, there was a special lecture if you took out student loans for medical school, you were supposed to come. And a third to half of my class was not there, meaning they had zero loans, let alone the 
350,000 that I have, right? So the other component as well is even if between your peers, you wanna talk about these things, you're kind of taking a gamble to see if they're relating to you, right? Because not all of it, like I drive an 03 Camry, I'm in a severe amount of debt. And then my other friend next to me who has zero debt, their parents cash roll their apartment and they drive a Tesla. We don't really have a lot to talk about. So it's kind of hard. And I appreciate folks like you kind of creating a community where we can talk about these things um, because it's pretty hard to come by otherwise. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's, it's, it's complex. And like when, like, if you don't know that there are so many people like you out there, it can feel very isolating. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a value, like not just for being able to propel good financial decision-making, but also to improve uh, the quality of life and mental health of students and, and residents so that they're not just simmering with their own thoughts, wondering, am I all alone in this? Is there, mm-hmm. have I, or, or have I done something terribly wrong? <laughs> like, yeah. I think like I've, I've not been in your shoes where I've had, you know, 300,000 plus in debt, but I will, I guess I should take that back. I have a house, but that's totally different. It's like, right. I, it's, it's a physical thing. Whereas like, this is like a very intangible and it's a very real benefit, but it's just, it's hard to quantify. And I think that it would be, it would be hard to just live with that on my own. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to create a, a safe community for us to be able to talk about these things. Um, you have done some work. Well, you were like working some while you were in school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, something that makes me happy is I'm not super into the, uh, binge watching Netflix at night or having certain shows that I watch at night. I'm more of the, if I can sit down for one to two hours in those bewitching hours of like nine to 11 PM at night, where I'm not going to get studying done. Mm -hmm. Those throughout medical school were the times where I would work. So one of my jobs is for one of these like uh, test prep companies, it's called Blueprint. I do some of their social media stuff and like webinars that are free for students to come ask questions about the pre-med process. Um, Because when I was a pre-med, not having anyone in this uh, field at all, I kind of resorted to podcasts and Reddit of figuring out how the process worked. So I'm being on the other side of it, I answer questions like, how much does primary applications cost? How many schools do I apply to? Am I competitive? Things like that. Um, my other job was for, is for, I'm still doing it for Mount Sinai, their dermatology department. I do all their social media stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do a lot of like patient communication. So whenever a physician is like, I'm not accepting X insurance anymore, or we have this new laser that does whatever the heck lasers do in dermatology. I communicate with their 20,000 patient panel or whatever. Um, so it's been nice because I could do it at night now that my daughter is here after she's asleep um, and do that for a couple hours a day. Um, since step two in match, it's been more like 40 hours a week because the, the student loans that they allot for us at the end of medical school only carries us through May, maybe. And that's for like your average, probably single, probably living with roommates, medical student, which I'm not. And somehow you just need to carry your way from May through July, halfway through July when I get my first paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, So lately it's been working a lot more. 
but earlier in medical school, it was probably like 15 hours a week that I was working. Okay. Did you do that? Like, was there a decision where you were thinking I'm going to work? Like, it, it sounds like you enjoy it, but was there also a, like a financial reason? Like you thought like, you know, we just want to make sure that we have what we need to be sustainable or was it like to avoid going into credit card debt? Was there anything like that propelling that decision? Yeah. Well, part of it was after we would budget with the loans that we got, my wife and I, we could have rent. We could pay for our car insurance. We have two junky cars that we just paid off, but we don't have a car payment, but between rent, car insurance, health insurance, and food and like 250 bucks a month for food. um, That was pretty much all we were allowed. So the way I considered it was less of the money that I made from these jobs, but more of if I work for two hours, we get a date night. If we work for 20 hours, we can do something fun. I I tended to view the the money that I was making more in the experiences that I could get from them without putting us into credit card debt rather than the money itself. Um, That that was just kind of how my wife and I looked at it. Uh, you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, that, that sort of thinking, it helps us to, it helps us to put money in the right perspective because mm-hmm. like just money for its own sake, you know, it's just what, what are you doing with it? You know, and if, you know, if it takes time to create that money, obviously you're taking time away from something else. You realizing what it's for and you're like, okay, yeah, it's worth it. And I think I, do you think that like that sort of thinking helped you to like prepare now? Like, cause you're going to be getting a paycheck now. Mm-hmm. Um, are you kind of viewing your new paycheck in that same, that same way? Probably. I mean, there are different philosophies out there, right? Like 50%, 30, 20, or the ways that you can allocate money towards f- fixed expenses and variable expenses. And we're probably going to do it in a similar way. Like with my paycheck, X amount of it is something that we can't touch and how much is disposable. Um, we're, we're hoping to have like a savings account for the first time in our lives. We don't, other than like the Dave Ramsey, we have a thousand dollars in case our car breaks down or whatever. We never really had savings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're hoping to do that just to feel a little more secure because this whole feeling of at the end of every semester, we had $0 left or like, we can't like not even do expensive things. We don't really have interest in expensive things, but like, oh, we can't go out to the movies or we can't do this like $40 thing because then we'd be negative 40, you know? So I, I think it will help, um, for residency as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that sort of living on the edge. That, that's not something you want to persist in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, as you, okay, so when you were managing that, you went from, you know, loan distribution to like zero. From that point, did you and your wife, did you have budgeting discussions? How did you go about managing the cash that came in and went out? It, it, we didn't spend a ton of time on it. We would kind of have like a month to month check-in of like, this is how much we spent last month around holidays or around certain birthdays. It'd be like, okay, now we have to like tighten our belt a little bit more this month, or we have to be a little more frugal or we're okay for next month. So, so that was kind of our tactic because I feel like we could have talked about finances every day the past three years, but that would have stressed us out too much. 
So we really tried to streamline like were our food expenses and our uh, variable expenses within a normal range. Do we have enough for next month? If yes, then we can just kind of relax for now. But it was stressful knowing that at the end of every term, hoping that the next loan installment came on time, which it never did. Um, that was that was a stressful thing going down to zero, then feeling like super flush for a couple months and going back to zero again. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it kind of is a more consistent spread for residency and onward. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I like the idea that you have in mind for, you know, building up a savings account once you're actually making a paycheck. Um, and I, I typically tell people to aim for a three months of expenses worth of, you know, savings that can be a very tall order because like, even if you're, like even if your monthly expenses are $2,500 a month, I mean, that's $7,500. So like how quickly can you ramp up to that? Um, it can take a while um, mm -hmm. for what it's worth to you and anybody else that is, uh, you know, that's on a similar track. It's about, it's about just making regular steps in the right direction. Mm -hmm. the, the speed with which you could do it. I mean, sure. It'd be great if you could save $1,500 a month and like get there in six months, that'd be, that'd be great. Right. But like so many people, they, they can't do that. Um, and so just having like whatever you determine can be reasonable, um, just doing what you can under normal circumstances and moving in the right direction. It's a great habit to establish. Yeah. A way that I've heard um, from other docs before is, consider your finances and progressing through that in a similar fashion to if a patient comes in, they're drinking too much, they smoke, they're hundred pounds overweight. You don't tell them in that single 15 minute visit, drop hundred pounds, quit drinking, quit smoking. It tends to be one little thing, right? Smoke half a pack, drink two beers a day instead of four, drop down five pounds or whatever in this little, this slow growth that it's easier to compound once you've started something similar to like, once I already have, I got my gym clothes on already, right? And I have my shoes on, it's much easier to go to the gym than it is if I'm wearing something else and not prepared, right? So things like um, the, the post-tax, like an IRA, like put like five bucks in it, like something that's practically nothing, but it kind of gets the ball rolling. Um, so I'm not like at zero all the time. That's one of the things that we hope to do as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I, <clears throat> that the habit establishment is really powerful. Yeah. Um, now you also, like, I can tell that you really are trying to be intentional with how you spend money, like the money that you do have. Is it just like a net, like, do you just naturally know you're like, yeah, I like to do these things. And so that's how we're going to kind of uh, spend our money. Or do you actually like, do you like write down what you like want to be able to do? Like what sort of things you want to experience? How do you approach that? We have certain goals with our money and different timelines, right? Like the one for this year is don't feel like we're going down to zero. Um, it's more like of a mental thing, but in the future, things like um, we'd like to take a family trip, somewhere like once a year doesn't have to be fancy like let's go never been to Myrtle Beach never been to the Grand Canyon never really have left New York for the majority of my life so like little things like that that are for us that we feel like we can do 
without stressing about money the entire time. I remember on my honeymoon, um, my wife and I went to Paris and it was like our, wow, we left the United States. This is crazy kind of experience. Mm-hmm. But every single meal, it was like, no, we can't have coffee. No, we have to drink water. No, we have to have like a plain like baguette for, or whatever. And just, it didn't feel like a vacation. That's the second kind of step. Um, and I said the other day, the third for me, one of the most significant financial things is I don't want to care how much fruit costs. Anymore. <laughs> like when I go to the store and I have to be like, okay, a mango costs $75. Great. And like a pomegranate, I'd have to like take out a mortgage for or think like those are more my financial goals. Like I want to be able to just like eat and like go to the gym and like read a book without having to be concerned about all oh, this book costs. instead of $5 or things like that. Um, The whole like owning a house and having a car and whatever is so distant future for me that a lot of the goals right now are more like mental health finance related. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I saw, I saw you post that and I just, I chuckled because I was like, like it's those little things that kind of, when you do have that pressure, it gnaws away at your uh, st- you know sense of stability um, it makes you it makes you tired in a very minuscule way but it's all the time and so right. it really adds up yeah I um, yeah I know like when <laughs> there's been some discussions um, online about the impact of lifestyle creep and I remember some of the physicians that I really respect saying my lifestyle creep is, going to the grocery store and getting whatever the heck I want to buy. Like, yeah. And like when you are on a tight budget and you're like, all right, we've got 35 bucks that we can spend and that's what we got to hit or whatever it is that like to be able to just like never think about that and that day will come for you. So, but, uh, it'll be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, do you have any, um, like when you think about the, like getting into residency and like, you know, your, your cost of living adjustments and such. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is like, when you think about something like disability insurance, Mm -hmm. and I I think you probably see, I talk about that a lot, um, but it's not cheap. So like for someone in your position, and I don't know what, I don't know whether what your personal decision is on it, but like what sort of thoughts go through your head when you think, well, you know, my take-home pay is going to be like 3,200 bucks a month or $3,500 a month, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, If your disability insurance is going to cost you 200 bucks, for example, and it's like higher for women. So maybe even more than that um, in terms of like protecting your income, is it like, do you think that like that is, more a financial decision or do you think it's more a like peace of mind decision more of a peace of mind decision for sure in my head it's the same reason why i have health insurance and my wife and kid have health insurance like for all intents and purposes the three of us are very healthy but such that we not even like something catastrophic like if we went to an er um where i'm going to be spending my career and we didn't have health insurance that could like financially disrupt us for years and years and years, right? Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate at Stony Brook, there are a couple of residents that are very interested either through personal experiences or meeting other docs because um, I come from families with physicians or whatever who have not had um, 
thorough, extensive enough, like own occupation disability insurance, or like if they're a surgeon, they can't work in the operating room anymore. They're not covered because technically they can work at the clinic still, or just different things that go into um, being covered by those things. So um, I also know that if I lock in things like disability insurance early, it would cover me, right? So like if I wait until I'm older, it potentially could be more expensive. Or if I like develop any kind of health condition in the next 20 years, because most Americans will by the time they're in their 40s, then it would be much more expensive. Um, so similar to a lot of this process for medical training, early preparation has paid dividends down the line. I feel like early preparation for like term life and like uh, disability insurance will pay dividends down the road as well. So although it is hard for me to stomach um, 200 bucks a month or whatever, that's like four four or five hours of me working, you know, at these side hustles. But if I can work a couple hours and stomach going out to get Chinese takeout, I think I could work, stomach working a couple hours and then keeping my family's financial sense secure um, in case I'm injured or if I pass away or things like that. So that's kind of how I consider those things. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. I, I know it, I, I try to tread lightly with it because I know like when I say, when I tell residents, like you should get your own disability insurance, your own own occupation policy, as soon as you reasonably can, I know that I'm asking a lot. Mm-hmm. I know, And like some people there are like, I just, I can't do it uh, for whatever reason. And I, and I don't think that there is an exact right decision. Um, but uh, hearing your perspective on it is, is valuable. Cause I like to, I want to, I want to like, grow in like an empathetic disposition toward you and your colleagues um, to better understand like where you're coming from. Cause like yeah. my brain, my brain does like gravitate toward the pragmatic and toward the risk avoidance. Um, but there's also reality. Like what is, what is the reality and what is it going to cost in order to like meet those hypothetical standards? So thank you. Yeah. I like, I like to consider it because I'm a, I'm a kind of guy, I don't know very much about the entire world other than medical training. This has consumed my entire life up until this point, right? So I try to consider things talking to a colleague in the only words I understand, right? So when I talk about like uh, disability insurance, people who have talked to me, it's like explaining the risks and benefits of a procedure to a patient. The benefit of disability insurance is if I get into a car accident tomorrow and I have a spinal injury and I cannot work, I will still have an income, right? I'm not okay. going to have this MD and no, no ability to produce an income. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the benefit of not having it is you could save 200 bucks a month. Like phrasing it in those things that are digestible to a medical professional, I feel like goes a long way for us because mm-hmm. if people just talk at us, cause I get this literally every day since I graduated, someone's trying to sell me like whole life insurance, a financial plan, like real estate in the Caribbean, what every day they have my email and I get this all the time and they say like I'm in this for you or whatever and it doesn't seem legit but if a physician or someone who has worked with physicians comes to me and is like it's like explaining the risks and benefits of a lumbar puncture to someone who is borderline sick and might get way better or worse in the next 12 hours like that's a language that I can understand um so I feel like framing it in that way tends to go a lot better for like healthcare folks Hmm. Oh, good to know. Always learning something. Um, so I would also, I was curious cause, um, I would, I'd, I'd like to better understand and perhaps 
you know, others who uh, are, you know, who are an undergrad or haven't even gotten into med school yet. Um, the program that you're in was, well, can you just describe it? Cause I don't know how to concisely like explain like what the type of school is and program like process. Sure. So there are plenty of programs out there. Some of them have linkage after undergrad to medical school. My program had a linkage from medical school to residency. So at Stony Brook, I did medical school in three years instead of four, which meant I didn't have summers off. I didn't really have breaks and any downtime I was in my specialty of choice, which was emergency medicine. Um, there are other three-year programs out there. They tend to be primary care focused. So medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, sometimes OB-GYN, sometimes ER. Um, but at Stony Brook, I was able to choose any specialty. So there are folks in this program that are doing like general surgery or urology or orthopedics or emergency medicine. Um, I had to get accepted as a normal four-year medical student first. And then I applied into this program. Um, I highly recommend it for anyone who is moderately sure, as, as sure as someone who has not done medical school yet, um, for what specialty they want to go into. And that was kind of how I phrased it because it was a super long interview and they kept asking me like, how do you know you're sure? And my answer was not like, I'm hundred percent sure I've seen every specialty. There's like 130 specialties. There's no, no shot that you've seen everything. But mm -hmm. I said, based on what I know right now, I know I really, really like emergency medicine. I don't like anything else nearly as much. I don't want to do anything surgical because the OR makes me nervous. I don't want to do anything outpatient because I just want to be in the hospital. And that was how I framed it. And for me, it worked out. Um, but I, th I think it's at least worth a gander for anyone applying. Is it more difficult on average to get into a school with such an option? I don't think it's more difficult to get into a four-year school that has that option. I think it's just more strenuous to get into a three-year program once you're accepted um, for different reasons. For, for grades, my grades were not fantastic for my medical school. I was in like the bottom 25th percentile for GPA and MCAT, but my research and like working experiences, I feel like really set me apart and different programs are going to have different criteria, I'm sure. Okay. And so now it's a total of six years because you're doing, you did three years of school and now you're beginning a three-year residency program in emergency medicine. And then um, you'll transition to attending hood at that point? Yeah, I haven't completely figured out the whole fellowship thing um, because part of me really likes like <clears throat> critical care or toxicology or pediatrics. But another part of me really likes the idea of just like having a job, <laughs> being able to kind of uh, separate myself from this academic treadmill that I'm going to have my entire life put on until I'm 30. Um, so I haven't figured it out quite yet, but we'll see. Yeah, no, you've got some time. Um, so, um, how are you approaching? How are you approaching your loans? Uh, so, between my wife and I, it's about four hundred total. She has about twenty from undergrad. I have about thirty from undergrad. Then the rest is just uh, undergrad and graduate school, and the rest is about three hundred fifty from medical school. Um, the plan, I think, was going to do just like income-based repayment under the guise of I might be interested in PSLF in 10 years. 
-hmm. So I'm going to go into it trying to fill out every month as if I'm doing that, knowing that if I end up deciding something else or I want to consolidate my loans after residency, I can do that. Mm-hmm. But for the next three years, I'm going to act as if PSLF might be the option. Um, and then kind of cross that bridge once I'm done with residency and see if things change. Yeah, that's a that's a really good default track for a lot of residents. Um, because you there, you just don't have all the information yet. And that's OK. Um, and um, a lot of people don't realize because the way that the way that the programs are communicated is so poor so poorly communicated is that the income-driven repayment plans are a requirement for PSLF, but they are not committing you to PSLF. Right. Um, so they're a good tool for budgeting so that you're not suddenly finding yourself on like, you know, like the standard 10-year repayment is definitely going to be far more than even your take-home pay check. Yeah. So like just being able to bridge that. Do you think, um, <coughs> pardon me, um, because of that though, interest accrual will continue to, to grow. Um, do you think that it like how frequently or infrequently do you think that it is like healthy to like, think about debt now between now and when you can actually do something about it? <laughs> um, that's funny. My, my general aspect towards life thus far has been like, I only have control of the things I have control over and I don't for the things that I don't. So I try to do my best with the information that I've been given and then not really lose sleep over the rest because I got plenty of other things to lose sleep about. Um, I, I, I think in the beginning of residency, I'm going to spend a considerable amount of time looking at income driven, pay, repay, all these different options and which ones will forgive because some of them uh, approve or um, give back the interest on your loans or they forgive a certain amount as you go. Like I'm going to go into all those intricacies right at the beginning and then just kind of set it for a year, maybe reevaluate it briefly at a vacation and just do that. Because I feel like otherwise constantly trying to reevaluate my financial decisions would take away from my education as a resident. So I'm going to just kind of do the work up front hope that that's the right decision and then coast for a couple of years. I don't know if that's the right decision, but given all the other things that require my time outside of residency, like making sure my wife still likes me and that my kid knows who I am, definitely higher on the priority than trying to like nickel and dime certain other like financial decisions. But that might just be me. No, that, well, I think, I think that that is putting things in the right perspective because the time that we have, and our life in front of us now versus what we're hopefully trying to recapture later. It's a tough decision, but when you recognize that the, like the financial impact relative to the amount of time invested in trying to like save a little bit of money or like just check and make sure that there isn't a way that you could have saved a little bit more money, what could that time have been spent doing? Mm-hmm. And if you're already working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week or whatever, like your time is at a premium. So I, mm-hmm. I completely agree with that approach. And a lot of things like with debt and even investing, like this will come uh, in time for, you know, when attendings start investing more, a lot of that is also on autopilot um, mm-hmm. where it can be. And, um, you know, always, I'm always thinking about how can we prioritize time? So that's really good. I think 
you'll really be happy with that and your you know your family will benefit from that too um do you have any uh do you have any suggestions for students like especially those who are you know getting just getting into fourth year now um are there any like you know one or two things that you'd mention that you think that you did or you experienced that you think could benefit them to hearing hearing from about now um my, my biggest advice for all medical students has been to prioritize the things that actually make you happy and then not really care about literally anything else. So by that, I mean, um, before Quinn was born, my daughter, I worked a ton. I studied every moment. I enjoyed that process, um, but I didn't prioritize the other things that made me happy. And I've come to learn that afterwards, I hour for hour spent less time studying, but my grades were considerably better after Quinn was born, when I was like not sleeping at night, like I'm still not, um, and pulled in a bunch of different directions. I think we underestimate the, the benefit of unplugging, doing something else with a different side of your brain, and then coming back refreshed instead of just brute force flashcards and questions until you pass out every night. Um, I think we're in a culture that kind of glorifies that whole, like, wow, Josh hasn't slept in a month or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a professional, I don't think anyone's going to look at an attending and be like, wow, he's so sleep deprived. Like that's just a danger to patients. You know what I mean? So I think the sooner yeah. we have that mindset, that, that mindset shift um, benefits everyone. Um, the, the second thing is really um, on that same vein, but more financially related, it's find out what you actually get enjoyment out of like what utility do you get from the things you spend money on and actually only do that. So like if for some of my classmates, they get so much love and happiness out of their $17 Starbucks coffee or whatever, like if that makes you happy, go for it. I didn't spend money on Starbucks at all in medical school, but I spent money like my wife and I um, buy a lot of fruit, which is why I'm concerned about how much fruit costs um, <laughs> or like, going on walks or go on walks to the beach or think like actually spend the money on things that make you happy and then forget everything else. Like having a big car payment on a fancy car does not make me happy. So I drive my crunched up O3 Camry air conditioning doesn't work, but I spend money on other things that make me happy, you know? So I think simplifying it in that regard can really make a lot of medical school happier for folks. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, um, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Josh. Um, and I know you got like a ton on your plate this next month or so. So I wish you and your family the best of luck uh, during this big transition. Thanks, Tyler. It's been great to meet you a little more officially. So thanks for having me. Sure thing.